we tested the game with our colleagues here, you know, engineers, PhDs in, in our <laughs> uh, water program, <laughs> and they all failed terribly. <laughs> A project to improve irrigation in one of Cambodia's most important watersheds finds that social structures are as important as infrastructure. Today on In Asia, from the Asia Foundation, I'm John Rieger. And I'm Tracy Yang. In a multi-year collaboration in Cambodia's vital Stung Chinit watershed, researchers from the Stockholm Environment Institute, the Asia Foundation, and Windrock International have found that solutions to water inequality often lie at the crossroads of infrastructure and gender. Joining us now to talk about some of their findings are Laura Forney, senior scientist at the Stockholm Environment Institute, and Paula Uniak of the Asia Foundation's Women's Empowerment Program. Laura and Paula, welcome to Asia. Thank you. Glad to be here. So this is a study of water resources and who has access. And today we're talking particularly about irrigation water. Laura, how important is irrigation in the Stung Chinit watershed? About 90% of the cropland in the Stanchinit is dedicated to rice and is key for the subsistence of the people, but also for, for the economy. The climate is seasonal, so they have a wet season and a dry season. And in, during the wet season, everybody can produce rice, but in the dry season, irrigation is needed. They have two big reservoirs and then many multiple smaller reservoirs and, and ponds. And primary and secondary and tertiary canals. And managing those canals are key for ensuring that people can produce rice in the dry season and this expansion and production of rice. And just to add... Yes, Paula. You know, expanding the capacity for people to produce rice, not just in the wet season, that has a huge economic impact as well as a community impact because whereas before, during dry seasons, it was very common for family members to leave their families and go and find seasonal factory work. With the expansion of irrigation that allows more year-round rice production, that really allows, you know, it gives more economic options to families and, and helps communities, uh, you know, stay in, in one place longer. So this study began several years ago with a straightforward technical analysis of water availability by the Sustainable Water Partnership. How much water was there and who was or was not getting it. But then in a social survey and a series of workshops with the farmers themselves, you were able to document a connection between water and gender. Paula, please explain. Well, there are certainly technical elements that can be tweaked to increase access to water overall. Are the gates on the irrigation canals open to allow greater water flow? Is there additional infrastructure that can be put in to increase access to farmers who may not have land close to the irrigation canals? But where we look not just at infrastructure, but also at gender and poverty and measures of social equity, this sort of Purely technical analysis doesn't necessarily capture everything that's going on when we think about access to water. Do you have some numbers you can share? In our survey, among those who had problems or challenges obtaining irrigation water, uh, these were 73% of women-headed households as compared to 59% of male-headed households. Women as our study found, have much less access to information about the irrigation schedules and about irrigation fees. And women are much less represented at the farmer water user committees and therefore have less influence in decision-making. And this is a problem because when 
women and men are equally involved, decisions are more likely to reflect the needs and concerns of the whole community. You know, it sounds like you're suggesting that women's water needs differ from men's. Why why would that be? Why would women have different needs for water than men? Traditionally, men are primarily responsible for commercial agriculture, such as rice production, and women are often responsible for domestic food production, subsistence farming for the family's produce needs, and it can also include water use for cooking, for bathing, for cleaning, that sort of domestic use. When there is the the pressure or the need to go and fetch water to provide for your family and for yourself or for the house, that takes time from other activities. So in addition to not having a voice, spending time collecting water prevents women from engaging in other activities, right? Going to meetings around, you know, irrigation scheduling. So when we put our gender glasses on, irrigation in Stungchinit suddenly looks like a difficult social problem. Are traditional gender roles in Cambodia actually incompatible with an equitable irrigation system? It is hard to overstate just how important the gender norms around decision-making and around community influence are. In our study, we found that participation in decision-making is low for both men and women throughout the watershed, but we also found that women's representation is lower and that men feel more represented than women at the farmer water user committee meetings and that women speak up less and feel less heard at these meetings as well. And and in fact, out of, I think, 12 farmer water user committees that we looked at, only one was headed by a woman. Laura? The prior analysis, the sustainable water partnership analysis, it was fairly technical and it was based on the data that was available, right? So it was kind of assumed because of the data that was available that all the irrigation uh, groups receive, you know, the same amount of water or it was equitable. This collaboration allows us to merge, you know, more social science-based type of analysis with technical analysis. And we discovered the added value of doing that, that the social component was able to capture some of the inequalities in the systems that we would otherwise miss. Here's a different kind of question. The winter holidays are coming up. You'll probably see friends and family. Are you are you ready with some amusing anecdotes about your work to share with them? What was interesting is that when we did the workshop, not many people kind of understood how big the watershed is, right? And we did a, a board game. You made a board game? What's it called? Well, we designed it ourselves, so we don't have a, a, a name. But what was funny oh, about come on. that is that... <laughs> Water Monopoly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My colleague designed it. And before we went to Cambodia, we tested the game with our colleagues here, you know, engineers, PhDs in, in our <laughs> uh, water program. <laughs> and they all failed terribly. <laughs> can, I, can we ask what the game was? Well, the game, she designed these cards, and for each month, they would get an amount of water in precipitation. And they had to make decisions around how many hectares of rice they would produce, how much water they want to leave in the reservoir and leave in the river for the fish. And they would either um, not have enough water when it gets to the dry season for rice, or they, the fish would die because the fish needed like three chips and the rice needed five chips. So it was very funny that they couldn't really keep the fish alive or the rice. <laughs> and when we did the game in the workshop, 
they did great because they knew, right? They knew exactly how the, the climate was going to be and, and how to keep the water. So the, the objective of the game was to kind of share with them how the model works, how much water goes to rise, how much water stays in the river in a particular month. And then we say, this is what the model is doing. So it, it sounds like this was kind of a co-learning process between your technical team and the farmers who know how to farm. Definitely, because yes, we know the models, but they know, they know the reality, they know their problems. So then what's next for the Stung Chinid watershed? Well, based on the evidence and recommendations of the study, the Asia Foundation is piloting an initiative in the watershed. We're going to be working very closely with the farmer water user committees to encourage more participatory decision making. And there's also going to be a big focus on helping farmers and the water user committees to adapt to extreme weather events. The Age Foundation's Paula Uniak and Laura Forney of the Stockholm Environment Institute, thank you for talking to us today. Thank you for, thank having, you for us. having us. I hope we can have you back in a couple of years when the next step has reached maturity. Yeah, when you launch your board game. <laughs> <laughs> There's a post about the game I can share with you. But no. Oh, you definitely have to share it. <laughs> That's our show for this week. And yes, we will share that blog post about the board game. There's a link at the end of this week's essay about the Sung Chinit Project by our colleague Chap Shrepia. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Until next time, I'm Tracy Yang. And I'm John Rieger. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.